Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. Hello, everybody. Hello. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever your particular time frame may be. Happy 2020, happy 2022 or 24, whenever you may be listening to this podcast episode. <laughs> and we are here to talk about what may be one of the most important episodes of not only the fourth season, but of the entire series. Yeah. The most important episode that aired on TV in the year 1992. Period. Very well. Maybe of the 1990s. Maybe of the 20th Could, century. It's possible that all of that is false. <laughs> <laughs> it's very possible. Uh, uh, we are here. Boy. We are here to talk about and potentially throw some shade at the curse of Tahotep. That's right. Directed by Joe Napolitano, who is, of course, no stranger to Quantum Leap Land. He's directed a, a number of episodes, including um, some, some fantastic episodes, some great episodes. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know that this is one of them. Uh, but, of course, he's responsible for The Leap Home Part 1, Black on White on Fire, Shock Theater, just to name a few. Uh, it is written by Chris Rupenthal, who is a, another uh, longtime alum of the show and is also responsible for having written uh, some fantastic episodes uh, of the show. Uh, this one doesn't quite measure up, uh, I would say, with things like Good Morning Peoria um, or Freedom. Um, of course, he also wrote One Strobe Over the Line, so really, I wouldn't say this is the worst episode that he's written. Oh, no! Oh, um, no. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. One Strobe isn't that bad. Um, our air date is April 22nd, 1992. Uh, leap date is March 2nd, 1957. We are somewhere in Egypt. It's never given the precise location, although we're somewhere close to the Aswar Dam uh, location. Um, I believe I said that right. Uh, and uh, Sam has leapt into Dr. Dale Conway, um, who is a professor from Kansas State University. Yeah, let's talk about uh, let's talk about the leap in, and then uh, I'll fill in some gaps here. Uh, TV Guide description: Sam Scott Bakula is an archaeologist who faces a possible mummy's curse after unearthing an ancient tomb with another Egyptologist. I've never heard that hmm. word before. All right. Yeah. Um, according to uh, Matt Dale's excellent book, Beyond the, the Mirror Image. Hi, Matt. In case you're listening, probably not. Uh, that, that's no shade to Matt, but he's you know he's busy. He got his own podcast going on. He's a busy yeah, guy. He's a busy yeah. guy. Uh, he has it listed as Saqqara, Egypt. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's talk about. This is a weird one. Uh, I, I think. In most other countries, it was called the Curse of Tahotep. Uh, in France, it was called Curse of the Pharaoh. And I, I think everywhere else, it was just called Curse of Tahotep. So it was pretty, yeah, so it was pretty straightforward. Uh, and this episode had 10.6 million viewers, had almost a million few viewers than last week's episode, Moments to Live. Interesting. Uh, I guess we are, we are getting into that 
that era of the show, if you will, where uh, you know, drop-offs are... But even still, I mean, there were pretty... Uh, the ratings were still, like, pretty consistent. Like, within, like, one or two million... Oh, no, no, I was wrong. It only dropped uh, 0.2 million from Moments to Live. Uh, but next week, The Leap Home, that's where it'll drop off by a million. Uh, not The Leap Home, Stand Up. Uh, Stand Up the next week, uh, 9.6 million. I just want to do a quick scan and look at uh, what the ratings were for the rest of the the series, starting with season five here. Um, sure. I'm gonna. You know what? I, I I just want to throw this out here while you're looking at. I'm gonna have to correspond with Matt because I want to know how he came up with Sakara as the location. The thing, um, yeah. Yeah, because it doesn't make sense. It, because the, the, there's two discrepancies within the episode that we can talk a little bit more about later. That that I think that people have made uh, have made an error uh, that Tahotep was a real person. Because Tahotep was a real person, but that was Tahotep the first. Whereas it explicitly states in the episode that they're talking about Tahotep the second, and there was no such mm-hmm. person as Tahotep the second. Um, so I, I'm of the mind that the correlation between the historical Tahotep and the Tahotep in this particular episode should not exist. No, I mean, from, from what I was looking up last night, like the, even like Tahotep II existed, but even still, like they got it wrong. Um, but, I but, couldn't yeah. find any record of Tahotep II. Um, um in the end, we, we know, I mean, it was obviously, it was fudged a little bit to make this version of Tahotep a little bit closer to King Tut. So those comparisons were together. Um, so yeah, flipping ahead, yeah, the the fifth and final season, the ratings, they, they start dipping significantly down to more like six, seven, eight million. Um, so yeah, uh, the show, the ratings do start to dip off in the final season, obviously. Uh, yeah, I want to jump ahead. I want to see just because we're here, we're already down. Uh, yeah, but the final episode had almost fourteen million people tuning in. Of course, so sure. Which is yeah. I mean, yeah. Anytime you get the finale going, you're going to get more viewers in than you had for you know the episodes leading up to the reason behind the finale. So yeah, right. I mean, uh, well, I mean, we'll yeah, we'll talk more about that. When we get there, but okay. anyway, let's uh, let's jump into this episode. Let's leap into this episode, um, <laughs> if you will. But uh, yeah, Sam leaps into a tomb, crawling into the hole. Yeah, what he's, an awkward falling into the hole. What an awkward way to leap in and like just like facing into total darkness. Yeah. Right. Um, Although not nearly as awkward as the leap in for next week's episode, but we'll get to that. Wait, yes, yeah, um, yeah. He so he he's kind of falling, stumbling into the tomb. Uh, Jenny, played by Lisa Dar, is uh, behind him. Um, obviously, the the leap in in this episode is a little bit expanded um, from the leap out in the previous episode. Uh, we get you know just a little bit more uh, shots of the actual tomb area and a little bit more dialogue. Um, the cool thing is, is that, and this is something that carries through the entirety of the episode, really, how excited Sam gets about where he is. Yes. Um, in fact, I would venture to say literally the best thing about this entire episode is Sam's excitement and enthusiasm for where and when he is and what he's doing. I agree with that because it, like, it, it's, it, it's Sam throwing caution to the wind and... 
it's like him doing like dangerous things, like like later in the episode when like to prove that it's not a curse and that the deaths that happen are are just a coincidence. Like he literally goes and he does the thing that would piss Tahotep off the most, right? In order to prove a point, and like. Sam Beckett is a Nobel Prize winner. He built a time machine. He <laughs> he is the closest thing to Elon Musk. Um, Without the celebrity. <laughs> celebrity, yes. Uh, and so someone like that, they are going to be obsessive. They are going to push things and do things that are uns- unsafe. They are going to be overzealous. Um and this is the first time in quite a while that we have seen this version of Sam. I completely agree. One of the notes that I took uh, was the interesting... It's a great illumination of, of his character because, you know, it's easy to think of Sam as a man of science um, and and someone who might be methodical in certain ways. And knowing, you know, what I think what most people... Uh, you know, just know about archaeology um, in particular today. I mean, the, that information is so easy; it's out at our fingertips. Um, the the lengths which are gone for preservation, and Sam's not interested in preservation. Sam's interested in discovery, and that to me is one of the keys of his character that really gets unlocked in this episode. Here's a guy who rushes into the quantum leap accelerator. You know, he's not interested in waiting for results. He's not interested. You know, he's interested in, 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 in discovering kind of what's next. And I think that that's on display here. And it's it's quite nice. Yeah. And what, what I love, what's interesting about this episode is like he knows these people like he knows, you yeah. know, he knows Dale. He remembers reading all of uh, um, he remembers reading all of Ginny Wills papers. Uh, yeah. And, and so that's. That's really super interesting, uh, and it's interesting the thing that that it, that it sets up. It's um, you know when Sam starts talking about the discovery and and how unbelievable it is, and they and he has this exchange with Al. I was like, yeah, well, Ziggy says it's unbelievable because it never happened. Yeah, <laughs> uh, because there is no record of this because you know we're going to be buried by a sandstorm, and then you know in a few years it's going to be destroyed by the building of a dam. Uh, so it just it, it sets up a really window of like forgotten history and experience that we don't uh, we haven't had set up like this in a lot of other episodes. Yeah, and I would argue that unfortunately it gets it, it doesn't get paid its due through the course of this episode. That it becomes much more about um, you know finding the sarcophagus it becomes much more about the mystical elements these unexplained deaths and i think that it's unfortunate because having seen especially knowing how this episode ends having seen historical occurrences that are our mysteries that we don't necessarily have a great explanation for explored in something like doctor who for instance which almost always has some sort of fantastic implausible you know, sci-fi fantasy explanation for why something happened um, that, that of course, has no bearing on reality. It's interesting that Quantum Leap decides to, you know, to not really, I think, play with it in the manner that they could have um, and have, you know, have Sam's, which, again, you know, I don't want to undercut how important it is for 
his character to be explored and illuminated in this way. But I think that it would have been a little bit more interesting to focus more on the mystery of what happened. And instead, you know, Al proffers an explanation right up front, and it's really kind of discarded. It's no longer what's important. What's important is, is finding, you know, finding the sarcophagus, finding out what happened. And, 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 and I just think that that's kind of too bad that we don't get to focus a little bit more on the mystery and see Sam kind of trying to figure things out in that respect. Sure. Now, yeah, and, and speaking of Al, as much as we love this version of Sam that we have, I got to tell you, watching the episode last night, and Betsy watched it with me too because she is all about, she is all into the Indiana Jones movies and all like archaeology. Mm-hmm. Like this is something that very much interested her. Uh, so she wanted to watch the episode uh, from... Right out of the gate, Al's first line about what an ugly <laughs> horse, what a beautiful woman. I was like, oh, I am already annoyed with Al in this episode. Uh, and again, we've talked yeah. about this a lot in previous episodes. Al is written somewhat inconsistently. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes like he's, you know, the, the quippy one liner Al, which is great. But this, I mean, it's just like leaning fully into that mode. Uh, and I get it. Is a setup? You know, he does provide a lot of the comedy in the episode. Uh, maybe it just struck me in the wrong place last night. I was just annoyed. No, I agree. The like the and the the thing about uh, I dated an Egyptian once. She thought she was a reincarnation of Cleopatra. She had such a great ass. Yeah, like that that whole thing. It's just sort of like I I, I just wish that the that the writers would have found ways to develop Al beyond those constant comments. And I think that, you know, to sort of contextualize a little bit with, with entertainment at the time, it was much, you know, much easier to write kind of almost like he was a stock character, almost like he's like something from Commedia dell'arte as opposed to being a real life flesh and blood character. And certainly knowing Dean Stockwell's, you know, protestations over being given kind of some of that meteor, more difficult subject matter, perhaps that influenced writers into just into just kind of having him be the quip machine. But I, I, I do think that, yeah, in episodes like this, it's, it's too bad because it feels like it could be anybody in that role. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel the same. Yeah. Like I said, yeah. The, like the man with an ugly horse thing. I was like, ah. Right. Admiral <laughs> is a well-traveled, worldly man. Why are we confusing camels with whatever? Um, right. I don't know. Uh, it is interesting to note, uh, Matt pointed this out in his book, in the original uh, draft script, or the second draft script, uh, Al actually taunts the camel, and the camel tries to attack him. Um, mm-hmm. I guess they decided that that would be too difficult to to pull off an actual shooting. Uh it's an sure. interesting note. It's an interesting note. Um, it is. Yeah. So, uh, so like, so we got the setup of the episode. Uh, they they have found uh, Tahotep's tomb, but the sarcophagus seems to be missing. Uh, but maybe it's there somewhere in a hidden chamber. Sam has hope for that. Um, we've had the initial conversation that we just talked about of of how the tomb is going to be lost forever, and then shenanigans begin. They do indeed. Um, the the first you know first one of note is the uh, the cobra sure. in Sam's tent, um, which you know the scene. I, I will I will say this: the scene with Sam and Al in his tent. Um, 
you know, Al doesn't really do anything but provide a little exposition. Uh, but that is that really provides us with a lot of great information and texture about the episode and, and, and Sam's enthusiasm is on full display. So I, I think it's a really nice scene and, and it leads up to um, the discovery of, of the Cobra. One other thing that I wanted to mention is that uh, this is one of those episodes that due to the location shooting that they were doing looks fantastic on Blu-ray. There are moments, especially... Um, in the early going when, you know, it's daytime, things are, 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 are got that great natural light going, uh, stuff really pops. And some of the detail on Al's costume, Al's got a great costume for this episode, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and his costume, some of the details are really, really nice. Um, so, I, I, you know, kudos to, to having the episode on Blu-ray um, and, and being able to kind of pick up some of that stuff that I don't think, you know, any other time I've seen this episode, it's never looked this good. So... It does look pretty good, yeah, and I won't go into the details. Uh, by Matt's book, Beyond the Mirror Image, but he talks about how uh, uh, Chris Rupenthal, he talked a great deal about this, actually, at the Quantum Leap 20-year convention in 2009 in this episode. And, mm. you know, obviously they shot on location in California, and, like, he and Tommy Thompson, just, like, they were they were very much wowed by what the set department and the props department was able to do and just... Um, uh, as, as much as we may not be thrilled about some things about this episode, like you said, uh, the episode, it, it looks very good. Uh, and especially like someone like me who can like look at other episodes and go, oh, that's the kitchen that they always use. And that's, right. you know, that's the porch <laughs> that they always use. And this is redress right here. Right, right. Uh, it's nice to have an episode where they are just in a completely, completely different location. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, it's worth noting that this is one of the very, very, very few times that Sam is not on U.S. soil. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and really any other time we see him not in, in the U.S., he's, uh, you know, on a, on a ship, on a plane, on an island. Um, this is one of the few times that he's, you know, literally in another country, in a different continent, and you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, that in itself is, is pretty cool. Um, you know, obviously the season five premiere gives us some globe trotting, but for an entirely different reason and in a very different way. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that this episode, it's it's really too bad, and obviously would have stretched the budget quite a bit. But it is really too bad we didn't get to do stuff like this more often. Oh sure, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, well, uh, so while we're, uh, we're on this conversation with Sam and Al, an interesting project note is that Al confirms that they are in 1999, uh, which is interesting because we're going to get more into this in the final season. The last mention of the date was obviously at the start of the season, the leap, uh, the leap back, and that was September 18th, 1999. Uh, and as we get later, actually, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, since we brought that episode up, I remember specifically that is going to uh, specifically say that they are in February of 1999. Hmm. Uh, and I, I wonder if that's a thing of they never actually wanted to cross into 2000 because they thought 2000 would sound too futuristic, whereas 1999 sounded... Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's just an interesting note. Al does confirm that uh, the project is still very solidly in 1999. Yeah. You know, it's also, it would also be really, really interesting to look at it from the context of what if, you know, we've, we've always thought 
and 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 it would make them you know a lot of sense that the project's timeline is proceeding in a linear fashion from Sam's initial leaps. Uh, and we know that sometimes Sam's leaps themselves can take, you know, indeterminate amounts of time, anywhere from probably instantaneous up to a few weeks. Um, but what if, what if the project is not proceeding in linear fashion? You know, what if when, what if what we're seeing is from Sam's point of view is linear, but that the project is, is, is kind of not connected to him in the same way. Uh, and so Al and perhaps Ziggy, because of the way that they're connected to Sam, are able to determine, you know, that, oh, okay, it's been five years for Sam, but, you know, it's only been three months for us. Um, I don't know. It's, it would be an interesting concept to, to explore. That's interesting. I thought about that before. The thing that gums up the works on that is that um, very specifically in Lee Harvey Oswald, they reference the events of the leap back. Right. Well, yeah, it's I, just an error. Yeah, an error. I know, I know. I I love your they fan way. Up. Yeah, because I've thought about that. Well, like, wouldn't it be interesting if, like, you know, yeah, we're not exactly seeing things in order from, you know, both of their point of view. But, uh, but yeah. But anyway, let's let's get back to the Cobra. Let's get back into like I posted on Facebook and social media last night. Uh, oh, uh, th- this is such an illegitimate love child of Portrait for Troyan and the Halloween episode that shall not be named. Yeah. Which uh, the uh, message boards over on Al's place, there are a, a couple of people who talk about the title of this episode and how it should not be uttered either uh, because of strange occurrences apparently that... Uh, uh, specifically, yeah, specifically in California, Matt points out in his book, there were some things around, uh, yeah. Um, I don't, I, I've never had any, <laughs> knock on wood, I've never had any bad luck with this episode, but, uh, but yeah. Right, right. Uh, so who, who's the um, first, who's the first character that dies? What's this gentleman's name? Um, this is um, a very, this is a very small cast episode, by the way. There are a total of, um, there are a total of let, let's take a count here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That includes Scott and Dean and the mirror image. Um, so it's a very small cast. Yeah, Roger Larue. Yes. Uh, yes, it is. It is a very small cast. Um, Ali is the first one who, who dies, played by um, Chime Girafi, um, and then uh, Gamal, who's played by Ali Dean. Um, will will be the next one. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting because it is it is a smaller cast. Um, I think it it benefits from that in a number of of, of ways. Um, you know, speaking of the cast, just briefly to touch on that, uh, Lisa Dar plays uh, Jenny Will. Um, she had actually just come off of starring in a television show called Flesh and Blood, which was a, a short-lived program, lasted 12 episodes, where she uh, starred as an attorney who apparently finds out that she has some redneck uh, family, and, you know, she's like this straight-laced big city lawyer, and it just sounds like a disaster waiting to happen. Uh, originally from Chicago, Illinois, um, she has made a 
uh, lengthy career um, in film, or excuse me, in television almost exclusively. Uh, you might recognize her from the episode of The Office uh, Product Recall. She plays Barbara Allen, um, who is the uh, teacher who comes to accept Michael's apologies over the obscene watermark on the paper, and she will not accept his apology. Uh, it's, it's actually quite amusing. Um, she also played uh, Sarah's doctor in Parenthood, um, and she had a leading role on the television program Popular, I believe, as one of the parents of... Um, of a character in that show, so um, and many, 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 many other credits. Um, so she she plays Jenny, um, does a fine job. She she has one of those interesting faces that with glasses on, she looks completely different than she does with glasses off. Like she proves that Clark Kent could really pull it off. Like she's one of those types <laughs> yeah. of faces where mm. it's like where it's like holy shit, she really looks like a different person without the glasses. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, what was I going to say concerning her? I can't remember. Oh, well, let's move on. Uh, we were texting about this off mic before we started, uh, to the, to, to, to the dude that not, well, he doesn't really turn into the villain until the last part, but we'll call him the villain of the episode. Uh, John, John Kapalos playing Dr. Mustafa El Razul. So first of all, I, I like John Kapalos actually, uh, being a fan of, of, um, Forever Night, um, which was a vampire. I remember Forever show. Night. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, Detective Shanky was Capulos's uh, character, and um, you know he was kind of the like the co-star, the second lead, almost like the Al to Giant um, Wind Davis. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Sam in that show, if you will. Um, and and you know he's he's great. He's very funny, but 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 uh, I, I think it's it's a lot to do in that show. And, and, and yeah, he's 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 good. He's a good actor, and he's a good actor in in, in this episode, and and uh, a good actor in other things that he's done. Unfortunately, this is without a doubt um, a classic case of whitewashing, mm-hmm. and I think it's worth talking about a little bit just because as we. Struggle to contextualize Quantum Leap uh, within the confines of when it's set, when it's aired, and where we are today. Uh, it is still something that we struggle with to this day. And I say struggle because I personally have been very conflicted about what constitutes whitewashing, what doesn't you know, constitute whitewashing. Um, but I think that in an episode that casts two... Uh, actors uh, of what unfortunately I have to make assumptions and this may be you know negative of me to do but based on their appearance and their names and the other roles that they have played which I'll get into in a second we have two actors of of descent that would make sense playing a role like Mustafa Al-Razul but unfortunately both Chime Giraffe and Ali Dean uh, have been relegated to playing mostly roles that literally have the names Muslim man, Arab sheik, etc. Um, and, and yet here we are with a white Canadian actor of Greek descent playing, um, you know, an Arabic man. Um, Whitewashing itself is obviously nothing new. For as long as we've been making films and television and theater, for God's sake, uh, it has been something that has happened. 
Now, I think that obviously there are times where it might be a little bit more excusable and understandable than others, just because, you know, in Elizabethan England, I imagine it was going to be very difficult to find a person of color to play Othello. I get it. You know, I'm not trying to say that every instance of a, a non, um, you know, black actor playing a, a black role, uh, or every instance of a non-Native American playing a Native American role, that there is anything to shame the actor for, or in some instances, even the producers, directors, casting directors, or whatever. That said, um, I think that when we look back on the early instances of this, you know, like a popular example being Charlie Chan films, for instance, um, that it is worth noting um, that there were Asian actors, um, that there were Asian actors that were working in Hollywood at that time that could have played that role. Um, you know, I think that there are also examples of it occurring where it is overtly racist, that it's not just a case of hiring an actor that you know that you think is going to be box office that's going to play this role in a very unique and interesting way, but there have been times like Breakfast at Tiffany's with Mickey Rooney as Mr. Yoshi, which is absolutely racist. And there is no way around it, and any explanation that is given to this day is weak, and it's inexplicable. And the only way to describe that role, and I love that film, but the only way to describe that role and the portrayal that Mickey Rooney gives is racist. Absolutely. And more recently, you know, there has been a lot of criticism over uh, certain films, genre films, which I think is, is interesting to kind of parallel here with something like Quantum Leap, which is a genre show, uh, like Ghost in the Shell. Uh, and Doctor Strange, um, which I think that it's interesting because they, they're both unique examples, and they're one of the reasons why I struggle with the debate sometimes over whitewashing. Because in both instances, you have these characters that were fictional characters that were originally drawn characters, one in comic book, one in, in, in Japanese manga, which is, you know, a comic book, which is it manga, but anyway, um, then eventually animated uh, when it comes to Ghost in the Shell. Uh, now, in Doctor Strange, for instance, Tilda Swinton plays the Ancient One. The Ancient One was originally drawn as a, an Asian man. Uh, in this instance, you have a, a Scottish woman playing the role. Uh, there was a lot of debate over the, this being whitewashing, um, and there was uh, some comments that... It, 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 is it actually whitewashing when the producers, the directors, the actors have made a concerted effort to have a, a very diverse uh, a range of representation within the film itself um, and just changed this character's uh, appearance. This isn't a case of Tilda Swinton playing an Asian man. And I think that is where the debate starts to get a little murky. Um, in Ghost in the Shell, on the other hand, these characters are traditionally, you know, illustrated as as kind of ambiguous. However, their names are clearly Japanese in origin because it was written by a Japanese man, illustrated by a Japanese man. However, that same Japanese man has been on the record as saying that it didn't really matter what the actors looked like because in his mind it was supposed to be universal. It wasn't supposed to necessarily represent a specific 
thing that it's set in Japan because he's from Japan and they have Japanese names because he's Japanese, but that they could just as easily be, you know, Caucasian or African or, you know, any, any ethnicity. So it's an interesting conversation. Uh, however, I think in this particular episode of Quantum Leap, it's absolutely a case of whitewashing. Yes, and the only thing, just to play the counterpoint, to say in defense of that is like that is a conversation that we weren't having when this Absolutely. when this episode of TV was made in the in the early nineties. Like, I mean, like we're I mean, we're still like you said, like we're still screwing it up now. Um, and you know, so for an episode of a you know of a mid level. TV show, uh, you know, again, back in an era of TV where nobody thought it was going to be put on home video and that two nerds sitting in their homes would be talking about <laughs> it on a podcast 27 years later, 28 years later. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Um, it's just, I, I think that one of the things that makes it unfortunate, and, and Rami Malik um, gave an interview not too long ago where he discussed this, and I thought that it was a really well done piece. Um, Rami Malek, of course, recently won an Academy Award for playing Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, also was Emmy and Golden Globe nominated for uh, the show uh, Mr. Robot. Um, and, and is going to be in the new uh, James Bond film coming up, among many other projects. Um, he's a man of Muslim descent, and he uh, was offered many, many roles for a very long time where he's playing, you know, like terrorist number one, you know, that sort of thing. And he got to a point where he told his agent, if they, you know, if, if anyone offers me a role like this, I won't, I, I don't want it. Just turn it down. I don't want to read it. I don't, I'm not interested. I'm tired of that being what people think of when they see me. Um, and, and I think that because in this episode, again, we have these two other characters that are portrayed by, you know, people uh, of Arabic descent, uh, that it, it just it just begs the question of why wasn't someone thinking outside of, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. why wasn't someone thinking that, well, you've got, we, we found a couple of actors to play these other roles. Is it really that much of a stretch to, you know what I mean? And so I think that that's the thing that's, that's uh, almost concerning in a way, if you will. Um, but it, it, again, it's an interesting conversation and one that obviously we're not going to solve here because as an actor, you have to have a thirst for roles that are outside the box for you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there are, line, there are lines that I think I personally would never be able to cross. Like I'm never going to put on blackface. I'm never going to do yellow face or red face or you know, anything like that. Never you know, want to take on something that's going to require me to put on makeup to make myself look a different way when there are other plenty of other capable actors out there that can take on a role uh, uh, that are uh, you know that match the right color basically. Mm -hmm. That said, it's very difficult to not have the desire to explore certain aspects uh, that are traditionally out, you know, out, outside those bounds. And, 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 and I think it's a difficult thing to wrestle with because you start to get into these very strictly defined boxes and you find yourself wondering, what about all these British actors who are playing American characters? Which is a completely different thing, and I understand that, and I'm not trying to make that as an argument for any sort of defense of whitewashing. 
What I'm saying is, is that it requires a certain depth of thought and nuance, which I think that the conversation is not always granted. And I don't know, obviously, that we're going to be able to solve that or anything in this particular episode of the podcast. But it's something for our listeners to think it's about. It's something to think about. And this is, oh God, there are so many rabbit holes we could go down. Uh, uh, but the, the, yeah, the one thing that, that I can't understand and I'm not saying like 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 I don't understand it's wrong. It's like no I, I literally I, I can't understand it. Like right now we are very much in a phase where we have decided that it is not okay for a cisgender person to play a transgender person. Mm-hmm. And I don't know yet why we haven't gotten to the point where we say it is not okay for a straight person to play a gay person. Because right. for any role for any gay character whether you're talking about in, in theater or film or whatever, there are plenty of gay actors available to play that role. And so far, I, I I've only keep... seen only a very few number of instances online of, of people, particularly gay people, saying that it's problematic. You know, like, for example, that Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal played gay characters in Brokeback Mountain. Uh, there's another movie coming up now. I, I don't know. Uh, it's Stanley Tucci um, and, and another ridiculously attractive man playing gay characters in an upcoming film. Um, and I saw that announced recently. Now I was I was kind of waiting to see if there's going to be any backlash about that because both Stanley Tucci and whoever the other actor is, they are both known straight actors. Um, so I'm, right. I'm wondering if we're going to get to a point where we say like, where we, you know, where we say that word, well, where you know, straight actors can't can't play gay characters either for the same reasons we say cisgender actors can't play trans characters. Absolutely. Well, I think that so, so two things. There are a lot of examples out there. Obviously, like you're just saying, uh, two others that came to mind when you were talking about that that HBO produced, and HBO tends to be, you know, a fairly forward-thinking you know, production company, but Behind the Candelabra, which was that Liberace film yeah. starred Michael Douglas and Matt Damon, Fe- both of whom are straight. Featured Scott Bakula. Um, I haven't seen it, but I know it featured Scott Bakula. That's yeah. right, that's right, Scott Bakula's in it, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and Angels in America, when they produced Angels in America, um, Justin Kirk, Patrick Wilson, Al Pacino, all straight men. You know, and they are starring in what is arguably one of the most important pieces of, of theater, slash in this case television. Um, you know, not just for for gay culture, but but I think period. You know, it's it's one of the most important pieces of theater ever created. Um, and and I think that the danger, and I've heard this from friends of mine. That I think that the reason why that conversation might not be happening quite as ardently as some of these other conversations is there are, frankly, some queer actors out there that don't want to be put in the box of only playing queer characters. Mm, Okay. And so the argument is, is if you tell me that every queer character has to be played by a queer actor, then that starts to mean that a queer actor can't play a straight character. And considering that straight actors have been playing queer characters for ages, well, not ages, because it's not like that's been something that we've been doing a lot. In sure, I got you. But yeah. I, I think it starts to beg the question of, is it okay for a queer actor to play a straight character? You know, And I think that that's kind of what I was talking about when you start narrowing those boxes and you start having, you know, the conversation dwindles to the point where, you know, and 
you're you're only going you know you're only going to be able to play a character that shares your same background in every respect. You know your 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 gender, your your sexuality, your race, your you know I mean everything about you that that we define in this society as we define it now is going to be the only thing that you can use to identify yourself when you are auditioning for a character. You know someone of you know uh, uh, Christian descent can't play a Jewish character, vice versa, that sort of stuff. And so it just it gets to be severely limiting. And while I think that there are absolutely conversations that should be had on a regular basis to make sure that we aren't disenfranchising and oppressing anyone and excluding anyone and that we are diversifying and that we are being inclusion uh, inclusionary it's, it, 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 it can't be it can't be at the risk of, of I think limiting artistic expression mm-hmm. maybe I don't know I don't know like, I said, like you said we're, we're not going to figure it out in uh, this podcast one one thing maybe building on to that and then like diving back into the episode I remember um, yeah. reading this like early 2000s uh, when Will and Grace like the first generation when it was really mm-hmm. big when that show came out and, you know that was obviously a very groundbreaking show for bringing gay people into the mainstream uh, bringing gay mm-hmm. characters into the mainstream um, the two main actors on the show Eric McCormick who played Will and Sean Hayes who played Jack the friend uh Eric McCormick practically tripped over himself to let everybody know that he was straight. Right. Will was gay. He was straight. Sean Hayes, on the other hand, I remember reading uh, an interview with him in Entertainment Weekly magazine. Uh, He was very adamant. He spoke very little about his personal life. He would not say whether or not he was gay or straight. And it went beyond Will and Grace. He felt like there's a, there's a difference between a celebrity and an actor and that he was an actor. And he wanted uh, people to know as little about his personal life as possible because he wanted to be able to play any role and for the audience not be like, well, I, I know too much about you personally, so I can't buy you in that role. Right. Uh, I I just uh, I found it to be a, an interesting approach. It is interesting, and it's one of those things that I think that it can absolutely color the lens through which you view an actor's performance. Um, I think that probably one of the more popular examples of that would be Rock Hudson. Mm-hmm. I think when you when you, you know when you watch a Rock Hudson film, it's very easy to to forget. Um, that this was, you know, a closeted gay man, and yet at the same time, when you put that on as your filter, it, 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 it I think it changes. It just changes your perception, you know. Um, and 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 I think that when you look at the celluloid closet, if you will, to to steal a, a phrase of a very well known book actually um, about closeted actors in in Hollywood, um, it it becomes a very sad tale. So I think that I'm just grateful that we live in a time where an actor can be out and not have to hide who they are in order to get work. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting that the conversation that we're having now is about what type of work should people get. Sure. Not who can get work, but what type of work should they get. So anyway, um, <laughs> in this instance, John Kapolos got work, and he got work <laughs> yes. playing Mustafa. Uh, yes. And, and, and you know what? Let's face it. All bullshit aside, when Laurence Olivier played Othello, he was fucking fantastic. And in this instance, 
Kapilos does a great job. Yeah. So, like, if we're looking at the actor and the performance, he does a great job as Mustafa. There's some really nice scenes. The campfire scene in particular is is, is a wonderful scene in this episode uh, because it's a nice it's a nice revealing moment for the three characters that are present and and takes us a little away from the mustache twirling villain that. Yeah, and, and, and tell me another another television actor of the early '90s who could have pulled off pretending to read hieroglyphics and and giving the line reading for a good time. Call Nefertiti. Uh, <laughs> Not many. And the thing is, is that that same kind of wit is is exactly what made him memorable and and great uh, in Forever Night. So. Uh, it was nice to see it on display. Yeah. So let, I mean, so I mean, we know how the episode goes. Uh, 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 Ali and Gamal they are uh, they are killed. Ali bitten by the cobra. Gamal the the, the car eventually uh, crashes on him. Um, well, is, I thought Ali was bitten by a scorpion. Oh, the scorpion! The scorpion. That is right. Yeah. I, I get. The, yeah. The cobra appeared, then bitten by the yeah, then the scorpion, uh, and then uh, Gamal is hit by the car. You are correct. Um, yeah, and like, is it, is it the curse? Is it is it Ginny who is staging all the murders? Is it Mustafa? It's a very short suspect list, uh, right? You know, Al suspects uh, Ginny for the most part. There's you know the great line where he's like, "Oh, boo boo hoo! I accidentally killed everyone," and blah blah blah. Give her an Oscar and let's get the hell out of here. Um, yeah, and, and so this is a question that Betsy and I discussed after we watched the episode last night. Uh, I have always interpreted this episode as that it was always the curse that mm-hmm. that in the end Mustafa decided to you know to to turn against uh, Dale and Ginny to get you know to get what was his and you know you know steal the treasures and go off but he didn't set up any of the other two murders he didn't become the villain until the last third of the episode. That's how I've always interpreted it. Sure. What are your thoughts? Because of the ending that we get, and because I struggle to enjoy or frankly reconcile that ending with the rest of this series as a whole, in spite of what the show is about, um... I have always tended to see him as the one responsible for Ali and Gamal's death. Deaths. Um, I, I I think that, you know, that does kind of make sense in my brain and that he was sort of plotting this thing the whole time. However, given what you just said and given the end of the episode, I am absolutely willing to kind of see what you're saying and that he does kind of just, you know, turn bad at the very end in order to get get what he wants and maybe part of it's also out of fear you know maybe 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 he is kind of a good guy and maybe he is just a little you know maybe a little slimy but ultimately kind of a good guy and because he's scared and greedy uh and has just enough of that slime the the combination of the three turns him into a you know a gun pulling mustache twirling villain and that's the kind of thing i hate because like he does take such the turn of the villain like as I was watching the episode last night, and he, like when he pulled out the gun, and we get the twist, I thought wouldn't it have been interesting if they played it a little bit more subtly, and instead of him turning into the you know like you said mustache twirling villain, he was a little bit more apologetic about it. 
You know, he was like, hey, well, yeah. hey, hey, I'm going to I'm going to lock in here. I'm going to do this thing. But hey, you know, times are tough. I got to make money. You know, uh, if he wasn't so villainous about it, you know what I mean? And, and I do have to. Yeah, no, I totally get that. But I will say that one of the things and, and, and who knows, he, you know, he's most likely not to be trusted. And I have carried on for the past 20 some years under the impression that he's the villain. Uh, that because you know maybe what he says is entirely true. Maybe he had absolutely nothing to do with the other two deaths. Maybe he was indeed going to go back to town. He got back. You know, he got to the car and he just talked to himself. Man, I have an opportunity here to set myself up for life, and all I have to do is leave them here. Yeah, that's it. I mean, the thing is, at this but point, I probably should go ahead. Uh, but but he's probably of a mind. I should probably make sure that they're actually you know gonna die. <laughs> yeah, I mean at this point uh, he's got. I, he, leave. I don't know. Yeah, he's got the gun. He's going to make sure they're going to die. So if he if he has done it, why why not confess it then? I don't know. Right. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, because uh, it's like I know like Ginny set up. I don't think I've ever like the first time I viewed this episode. I don't think I ever suspected Ginny at all. No. Uh, no, we were watching it last that. night. Betsy kind of thought so because Betsy pointed out, you know, because I, I would ask her intermittently like what she thought, how it was going to end. And, you know, she did point out that bef- every time before something bad happened, Ginny always conveniently went away for a little bit. So right. so conceivably, she could have set things up. Um, so, yeah, for a while last night as we were watching it, Betsy did suspect Jenny. She was not seeing the mummy. <sighs> that fucking. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so before we get to the mummy, real quick, I do want to add a couple other things about just the uh, the episode as a whole. Um, we get that nice campfire scene like sure. I mentioned earlier. Um, Sam's little monologue, you know, where he kind of compares going into the tomb and, and, and studying ancient Egypt as being like leaping through time is, is really quite nice. Um, and you know, there's, and there's just some good dialogue on the whole between the three of them. Um, it's well done. Uh, Al, uh, you know, one thing I guess that we do get going here is that his superstitious nature is reinforced. Uh, you know, he's, he's very creeped out by all of this. Uh, again, I think kind of going back to what you've said before, Dennis, there is definitely an element of like, this guy is a rear admiral in the Navy who's a Vietnam vet and former astronaut. Like, come on. Yeah. How spooked is he going to be really by a mummy's tomb? You know, I, I, I tend to think that he would be just as fascinated by all of this as Sam, yeah. but obviously dramatically we need a good counterpoint and that's what he's there to provide, I guess. That is, um, yeah. And, and for, yeah. For his part, yeah. Dean Stockwell does it very good. Um, Absolutely. And I love... There's no denying it. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the little quippy one-liners and what they're setting up with, like, the program that they just caught, that's causing problems with the imaging chamber door. I remember being a kid, always finding that a little bit spooky. Uh, and, and now as an adult, not so much. Uh, I do love the right. moment where Al is basically, he's stuck in the imaging chamber because the, the door won't open. And this is the thing like I, I've, I've always assumed that it was a it was a goof on Dean Stockwell's part and it was too good that they kept it in was when he's yelling at Gushy 
and he initially says what's uh, wrong with the backups, and he says what's back with the wrong ups. Oh yeah, because <laughs> like rewatching it last night, like he says it, and like j- just for a moment, it looks like Dean Stockwell's about to break, and then they cut to another angle really quickly. Yeah. So I have to assume yeah. that that was a genuine flub on Dean Stockwell's part, and they just chose to leave it in because it, it just it, it, it just fit everything in the episode. Yeah. I'll have to go back and, t- and take another look at it because I, I I wasn't necessarily like looking for it, but yeah, that's that is interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, and I think overall, you know, the thing the thing that's kind of I think bothers me the most about this episode, especially as we're talking about it, is the fact that there's not there's not like anything glaringly wrong with it. Yeah, there's not like a bad a bad actor. There's not like a bad element of the script. There's not anything that just makes me like roll my eyes and say, "God, this is terrible fucking television," or you know anything like that. It just, I think it's the ending that really does me in because there's some cool moments and there's nothing remarkable about it. Like I'm not saying that this is a great episode and in the end it really screws the pooch. It's not that. It's that it's just it's 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 okay it's acceptable it's fine and then the end it just makes me like pull my hair out and it shouldn't it shouldn't and I admit that I mean we are in sci-fi fantasy territory from the very first fucking episode but but there's something about this that gets to me and I think maybe because it betrays certain elements of the episode that are so exciting. And that is, you know, Sam's sense of wonder and discovery. One of the cool things that they do in this episode is when they're cutting the mummy open. Like, that's a really fascinating, cool scene. And it's like, ooh, man, that's, that's, it's well done. It's filmed well. It looks kind of cool and atmospheric and, and a little creepy. Um, but I feel like the rug gets just pulled out from under us because now all of a sudden, mummies as monsters are real in the Quantum Leap verse. Well, I mean,. This bugged Betsy so much, or not bugged, it affected her so much. Like, it was one of the first things she brought up this morning. And she was like, Why? She was like, I don't know why it bugs me. Like, the existence of God is already pretty much assumed in Quantum Leap. They have had supernatural explanations in episodes before. Is a mummy really a step that much further? Yeah, but I feel like the thing is, is like everything that's come before this, when it comes to God or any of the supernatural elements within the context of Quantum Leap, it's always been left just enough ambiguous for me to be like, hmm, maybe, maybe not, you know? And and, and this is so overt and so in Uh, your face. Portrait for Troyan pretty much has the housekeeper fade out of existence. She fades out of existence after after her body is pulled out from the bottom of the lake. This is not too much farther of a stretch. I just I I just I don't like it. 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 I mean, where's our werewolf episode? Where's our vampire episode? Oh wait, we're gonna get there. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I don't know. Give them a sixth or seventh season. They would have gotten to the werewolf. Yeah, right. Uh, so we should talk about, uh, this is a goof that I remember like, had caught years ago. Uh, when the big rock comes down after they get uh, trapped in the tomb, when it comes down the second time uh, after Mustafa gets trapped in there uh, and 
uh, Sam and Ginny get out, the, the, the stone actually bounces when it comes down. <laughs> uh, that's fun. Um, yeah. Another and, one is that when Sam's um, smashing his way through the wall, you can see some wire mesh at one point, um, which obviously would not have been used by the ancient Egyptians. Um, and it's clearly something used in the in the building of the set. I know that there were it's in the lower left hand corner uh, when he's smashing through the wall. Okay, I'm going to ask you to repeat that because our connection kind of bit for a little bit, and I didn't actually hear what you said. So say that again. I was just saying that when he smashes through the wall um, to to get to the other side and, and break through into the actual tomb and find the sarcophagus, there's a piece of wire mesh that's in the bottom left hand corner of the hole which obviously would not have, have been there uh, as built by the ancient Egyptians. Oh, interesting. Okay, I didn't see that. Uh, I, I did note uh, in the trivia that the the set dressers, actually, they, they put some, I think they put, like, Bart Simpson, they put some other things into the set dressing, <laughs> you know. Um, nice. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so the wall bounces when it comes down. That's fun. Um, now, here's a question that I didn't really think about for the first time until this morning. Sam leaps out. Dale leaps back in. Sandstorm is coming. Tahotep is lifting the rock. What happens next? Well, here's an interesting question, Mm -hmm. which is another thing that bothered me about the episode, honestly, the abrupt leap out. It feels like such a cop-out. And it, and it makes me wonder, in a way, like, was this leap all for naught? Like, what was the point of the leap? Because as far as we know, they're not safe yet. They haven't gotten away. They haven't escaped the sandstorm. They haven't escaped Tahotep. They haven't, you know what I mean? So as far as we know, like, was this just a, was this just a present for Sam? Was this just a treat to be like, Sam, I'm God, time, fate, or whoever, and I know that you have always wanted to visit a mummy's tomb. So here you go. I'm throwing you a bone. There you don't you have go. to save these people. You don't have to change shit. Everyone still dies. Yeah. But I'm going to let you unearth a mummy. Like, it, it, there's a part of me that almost feels like, is that what happens after this? Does he just leap out and they still die? I mean, I had never thought about it before, but they did. They are dead. Right? They are dead. The mummy is out. The mummy is lifting the rock. They, I mean, they're not just going to simply outrun the mummy and then the mummy's all of a sudden just standing out in the desert going, well, what now? <laughs> yeah. He, no yeah. matter how fast they run, Tahotep is going to totally Mike Myers their ass. And, yeah. and no matter how fast they run, he's going to walk, he is going to lumber, and he is eventually going to catch them. Dale and Ginny are killed by a mummy, and then all three of them are buried by the sandstorm. The end. And I think that another thing that is interesting to think about in that context is it means that Sam's memories of these events don't change. Because can you just, can you imagine the book or paper that Jenny would have written when she got back that Sam obviously would have read because he says he's read everything she's ever written? Yeah. You know, so, like, if she had lived, who knows what else she would have written or done. Or, you know what I mean? I mean, if they lived, there's no way in hell they would not have led another expedition back there to unearth 
what happened. Sure. You know what I mean? Especially Dale. Like, if I'm Dale, and I get back, and I'm just sort of like, I'm sitting there in my office at Kansas State, and I'm like, man, I really wish I could remember that time that we unearthed Tahotep's tomb. I can't remember it. Jenny tells me to leave well enough alone, that it's dangerous, that we shouldn't go back, but I'll be damned if I don't want to see it. Do you know what I mean? Like, at sure. least he's arranging an expedition to go back. So, so I, yeah, I, I think that in my head canon, I think that, yeah, I think that unfortunately they're both dead. The leap out is so abrupt and so strange. We get no sense of resolution really whatsoever. We just know that people died. Yeah. Well, I mean, they they did this earlier this season with dreams. Um, Sam Sam comes out of the hypnosis. He shoots the doctor, but then he just collapses against the wall, and that's it. He leaps out. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, for, from a practical standpoint, it's a cop-out. <laughs> they didn't know how to end the story, so right. so they just had they just had Sam leap out. Uh, the thing, I've never... But again, it does make you wonder, what was, his, what was his mission? Well, they make such a big deal about this computer program malfunctioning, and then one of the final twists is right before we reveal Tahotep, is that this program came from Egypt. Does Tahotep released out into the world again does he do something that leads to 40 some odd years later a weird computer program making its way to project quantum leap does that computer program have something to do with ziggy and the future of the project going forward It's an inter- it's just it's a weird it's just it, it is a very weird ending and I I don't have a problem with being left with an ending that makes us ask questions like this I think it's interesting um, but it just I don't know it's it's such an outlier I don't it's such an outlier because of the mummy's hand reaching for Mustafa and, sure. and the way that it ends it's just such an outlier to me I'm gonna go I'm gonna go a weird deep fan wank there is uh, there's other fan fiction fan wank out there kind of hypothesizing that uh, Lothos, the, the computer from the Evil Leaper project, is actually Ziggy revived like sometime in the distant future after the end of Quantum Leap. What if Tahotep gets out, he somehow leads to a computer program being developed and getting into Ziggy. What if that computer program is part of what turns Ziggy evil and turns him slash her, whichever, into Lothos. I like that. That's the type of supernatural bullshit I can get behind. <laughs> but don't give me no mummy's hand. It's uh, not bad. It's not bad. It's just, I just, I guess, I guess even having seen this episode, you know, a couple of times before, I just, just wasn't ready for the mummy's hand. Uh, it's to me when I was a kid. That's what made me love this episode. Is the fact they they mm. yeah they just went forward the the you know the weird ass twist that oh they're never going to do that. Yep, we're doing it. And here's a Bob Saget on top of it. Uh, yeah, right. We'll get there in a second because here's something that's weird for me, and I don't know if I've really actually mentioned this before. I think the reason why I had a hard time swallowing it, and this is crazy. I understand that is that. In my, you know, 10-year-old brain, on the verge of being 11, Mm -hmm. when this episode aired, in my 10-year-old brain, I believed to an extent that this could be real. 
I believed a man could travel within his own lifetime. Mm-hmm. I wanted to figure out how to make it happen, you know? And I was willing to believe that. Like, I'm willing to buy into time travel. Sure. I just wasn't willing to believe that mummies existed. And so, and so when I saw that mummy's hand, all of a sudden it made me question. And it made me question in a way that made me uncomfortable, and I didn't like it. And today, as a 38-year-old man, watching Quantum Leap in my basement, I just, I just couldn't, I don't know, I still can't quite wrap my head around the mummy's hand. <sighs> Took it all away. I know. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, well. I'll get over it. I and I mean the fa- the fact of the, the the fact of the matter is though, Dennis, is you are absolutely right. I mean, when you put it in the context of not only something like Portrait of Troyan, but even putting it in the context of some of the Evil Leaper stuff, or or what happens in trilogy, or just the whole idea that Sam's physical essence is transferred, you know, not just like his mind or whatever. Like all of these sorts of things are very fantastic and very much up there with you know something out of the Universal horror canon as opposed to you know being this, this like, hard sci-fi, this is how time travel would work if it existed sort of thing. Um, it's just that I think that, I think personally for me, not that I don't actually enjoy the Evil Leaper episodes or trilogy or whatever, but for me personally, I think I enjoy Quantum Leap the most when we're getting episodes like, you know, Thou Shalt Not or The Leap Home or, or MIA sure. and stuff like, like stuff yeah. like that is is what draws me to the show more because it makes me invest emotionally in a way that I think an episode like this doesn't. I gotcha. Sometimes you have a leap home. Sometimes you have the curse of Tahutep. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Hey, you know what? I'll give Tahotep this, and I mean this. It is not as bad as Portrait of Troy. <laughs> it is, it is a better episode. In some ways, it may, you know, if we're going to compare it to the other supernatural episode that it draws comparisons to, I might actually, in some ways, enjoy this a little bit more than the Bee Man. I think overall I like B-Man more just because I think B-Man does some weird and crazy shit which is really kind of cool for Quantum Leap but there are elements of this episode that I prefer I think Sam I like Sam a lot better in Tahotep than I do in the B-Man yes because he's just kind of reacting in B-Man yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, 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 side by side between this and Portrait for Torian, there are elements of Portrait for Torian that I like, and I know you don't like that episode. Um, I like that the uh, the equipment can pick up Al. I like that Al is able to use that for a little bit at the end of that episode uh, by spooking yeah. by spooking Jimmy by talking to him through the through the little device. Um, I, I like the twist at the end when uh, when the housekeeper, whose name I can't remember now, when she turns out to be a ghost. Yeah. Look, I I love her to death and everything that she has done for the show, but the thing that sinks Troy in for me every time is Deborah Pratt. Uh, if you're listening, Deborah, we're sorry. 
She's not listening. Uh, She's also a successful, uh, you know, Hollywood writer and producer, and um, just a guy who fucking works at a nonprofit arts company in Chicago. So yeah, so there we go. Uh, yeah. So yeah, so we leap out of the tomb and we leap in to to Mister Next to Mister Danny Tanner. Oh man, Danny Talk Tanner, awkward Bob leapers. Bob Saget. The the voice Bob of the Saget. the voice of the dad of How I Met Your Mother until the last episode when it just did a weird thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, but yes. I mean, I think we may feel this is awkward anymore just because from us coming from a performance background. Uh, but yeah, standing on a stage in a comedy club, set up to deliver the punchline, and yep. Bob Saget does some of his finest acting ever in those short moments too. I, I have to say. Oh yeah, yeah. Like the, just the the mortified, angry, confused. Like he is able to convey so much in those short looks that he gives to Sam, and then prompt. Like it's. I, I'm not. That's not being hyperbolic. Like he does some really fine acting actually in that in that moment during the sleep in. Oh no no <laughs> yeah, and, and we'll. I'm sure we'll talk about this more last week. But I'm sure unless you've been living under a rock. You know that Bob Saget, his, his own comedy, is a world away from what most people know him as Danny Tanner. Uh, yeah, uh, very raunchy. Yeah. And, and I have a feeling like underneath, like he just has a very uh, angry demeanor that kind of comes across in this, uh, you know, in, in this in this short thing right, right, right. here. I, I think he is probably playing much closer to himself in this episode that we're going to see next week than, than definitely than he was with Danny Tanner. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, there, there was a while uh, in pop culture. I mean, he, he definitely had a bit of a resurgence there in the early 2000s between the aristocrats and then uh, his guest spot on uh, Entourage. Um, there, I, I mean, I, I felt like I heard this line quoted so often, uh, and it was when I was in college. So you know, other other people were using it or whatever. But there's a line uh, in the episode of Entourage where one of the characters says, "I just got cock blocked by Bob Saget," and I used to, and I swear I used to hear that line quoted so much. Um, but uh, yeah, he's an interesting guy. We'll we'll talk a little bit about him, obviously, um, next week. Uh, I love, by the way, Dennis. I think you slipped. You actually said last week, earlier. Would you meant to say next week when we talk oh, about this okay. episode? But I love, I love that you said last week because it keeps it keeps in line with the idea. That people could be listening to this. You anytime, don't know anywhere. You don't know. You're jumping back. Who knows? Uh, Who knows? Some people they still have our first episodes ahead of them, and I am sorry for that. <laughs> You know, I have to say, uh, one of the other things real quick that I like about this leap in, and I'm, and I'm talking about it specifically this week as opposed to talking about it next time, is that the um, I feel like this leap in does a wonderful job of setting up, and maybe this is me just knowing kind of you know what's coming next with the episode, of setting up the episode in ways that some other leap ins don't. A lot of other leap ins are there for shock. A lot of other leap-ins are, you know, leave you with the question of, like, what the hell's going on? Whatever. But there's something about this particular leap-in and seeing, you know, the, the you know, Sam and, and up there with Bob Saget's character, Mac, 
and also getting to see Amy Yazbeck's character Frankie, uh, the waitress, like in the audience. Everything. There's something about the way that it's shot, that it's filmed. It tells a little bit of story, mm-hmm. and we don't often get leap-ins that tell us a little bit of story. Usually, the leap-ins are simply there just to say, "Oh shit, what's going to happen next time?" And this one, I feel like it sets up a, a, the, the players in the story in a way that we don't often get, and I and I appreciate that. I do too. Looking forward to talking about it next week. I found. Uh, uh, I'll send this to you in a text. Maybe we'll play a clip of this next week during the episode. Oh uh, it was a song by uh, Jamie Kennedy and Stuart Joan uh, called "Rolling with Rolling with Saget." Um, <laughs> that came out in two thousand and six. Maybe we'll, we'll maybe we'll open the show next week with that clip. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, maybe yeah. we will, maybe we won't. Uh, uh, but anyway, I, th- I think we've we've already laid it out. But any more final thoughts on uh, the Curse of Tahoe Tip? You know, in my notes, I I said not bad, but not great. I, I feel like it, it never fully decided exactly what it wanted to be. It, 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 the twist ended up feeling like it was a little unearned, and 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 it, and it just felt like it betrayed a little something. And that's just me personally. Um, it's not terrible. There are some really good moments within it. Um, you know, it's fine. What about you? Uh, it, it kind of had the opposite effect. Moments to Live was like an episode I was kind of like, eh. Uh, I ended up really liking. This is the one I remember really liking as a kid and like watching it. I was just kind of like, eh, eh, about it now, rewatching it. And I think... You know, I think one other thing I just want to add real quick is that any, any of our longtime listeners will have probably caught me disparaging this episode at times throughout the course of our of, of, of our uh, of podcast, you know, joking about it not being a good episode. And I, and I feel like it didn't necessarily surpass my expectations, but because the bar was set a little low, there were things I decided to enjoy about it uh, rather than, you know, watch it and be like, well... There's 45 minutes I'll never get back. I got you. I got you. All right. Uh, we're we're going to come in with some uh, some breaking news here. Uh, I just checked my Facebook Messenger. Uh, Emma Fee, who's one of our listeners, and she listens to like, all of the, the podcasts, and she's uh, the, the, the founder and the admin of the group, uh, fans of Quantum Leap, putting right where wants it wrong on Facebook. Uh, uh, this was just released today. Uh, NBC is considering Quantum Leap Revival. Uh, yeah, is considering a Quantum Leap Revival. There was also a thing about Saved by the Bell and Punky Brewster in there. Uh, but yeah, I'll put now, this... here's my... Qu- Go ahead. Revival is very different from Reboot. So, are we... Are we to assume that a revival of Quantum Leap on NBC's Peacock uh, streaming service is going to actually like continue threads from the original? Or are we just thinking they're just using the word revival interchangeably with reboot, which would of course then mean that it's going to be a completely different... I, I, think, I think it's probably going to be a reboot and I was today years old when I knew that NBC had a streaming service called Peacock. <laughs> yep, it's coming, man. It's uh, coming. Y- you know, here, here's the thing. Um, 
if there is ever, thank you, Emma, for, for sending that. You will, you will get a message from me before you hear this in the episode, probably. Um, but uh, whatever comes, I will enjoy it for what it is. Um, I, I, I do not expect Scott Bakula to appear in any, in any reboot. I'm sure he will be very nice, Scott Bakula being who he is, and he will probably give the reboot a cameo, at least. Um, I, I, will, I will take whatever it is, and I will be happy with it. Uh, and I'll, and you know, I, I know me. I, even if I hate the thing, I will hate watch every moment of every episode. Yeah, no, look, I if Quantum Leap comes back to the airwaves uh, or, or streams or whatever the hell we want to call it, I will absolutely be watching. Um, we'll have to fire up the mics and, 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 and certainly, you know, give our useless commentary on each and every episode as it comes out. Um, I, it's just so weird for me to think about, though. As crazy as that sounds, it's just so weird for me to think about the concept of it coming back and, um, here's, here would be my issue with it. And knowing that NBC hasn't always been great at doing these things, Uh I'd want it to be fucking, I'd want it to be good. I'd want it to be smart. I would want it to take the elements of the original and find ways to explore you know, new avenues, new pathways, while also answering questions that the original left behind. I would, I think, I think I would rather have a continuation as opposed to a reboot. If, if, I'll tell you this right now, and I mean it, and we've seen it happen a lot with other shows, if they get some hunky, dial tone, zero talent asshole to play Sam Beckett, and just pass it off as cheap fucking pablum for the masses, which aren't even going to watch, so I don't even know why you can call it cheap pablum for the masses anymore, but some just horrible, white bread piece of garbage. Like, I will, I will probably on a daily basis troll NBC's Twitter account <laughs> with just horrible comments... <laughs> Because it takes 30 seconds and it refocuses my energies and efforts and ire on something that truly doesn't matter as opposed to where it's been for the past week, which is on things that really do matter because it's been a terrifying, awful, terrible, horrible, no good week and terrifying, awful, horrible people have done terrifying, awful, and horrible things. So why not... Why not just be pissed off at a network? Not saying that's going to happen. It could be fucking brilliant. It could be awesome. And I think that that's the reason why I'd be so upset if it wasn't, because the potential is there. It could be there. I mean, like, the, the setup for the show is just there for some brilliance. And I think, like, if we're putting it into a new context of, like, now, whether it's, uh, whether it's a reboot of Sam or whether it's some new character, uh, Starting from this point, like the 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 potential like fodder of like just like leaping around like the eighties, the nineties, and the early aughts, um, there are a lot of stories to be told in that time frame. 
Absolutely. And look, you know what? I am of the mind that if you're going to do this show in today's day and age in particular, why the hell not make it a continuation and why the hell not have Sammy Joe be the one that's leaving? Like, have a female lead in this goddamn show. You know? Like, absolutely. And let her leap into men, women, people of color, gender diverse. Like, just go for it. It would be great. I would trust something like that on HBO. I don't know if we'd get it from NBC. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, the yeah, from Peacock. Yeah, uh, you know I would love yeah for some people at HBO to get a hold. Ah, I don't know that that that's a whole other discussion. Anyway, thank you, Emma, for uh, for yeah, thank you very much, Emma, uh, for throwing for throwing it that way, and. Uh, yeah, now we have a new thing. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a social media free day, but now I'm going to have to get on here and look some stuff up and post some things. Damn it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, I just I just took a quick look at it. Apparently, Mark Paul Gosselaar is going to be in the Saved by the Bell revival of Zach Morris. I mean... So, so it's sounding like these are actual... like it, Because Punky Brewster and Saved by the Bell are actual revivals, it could be that they are examining Quantum Leap as being some sort of you know, continuation. I don't know. For sure. I mean, hey, Belisario is to be believed. There are, there are scripts. Like there, there, there's stuff, a script so. out. There. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is going to give me Belisario. Mwah, sign, sign off on it. Let it go. And let someone else handle it, man. Uh, I, I love what he brought us, but I've always felt Belisario doesn't understand fandom. And anyway, um, uh, I, I'm with you. Uh, and you know, Scott Bakula, he is a good sport. He will come back and he will play whatever small role, at least for a cameo. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you know, we'll, we'll sign off on Sam. I, would, I was thinking about it the other day. I would love it if they, if they do ever revisit Sam's character. I would love to it just be revealed that after a few more years of leaping after the, the series finale, he just he found somewhere in time and he stayed. He just stayed out of history's way and he just lived out of the rest of his life mm-hmm. doing scientific experiments in a hut somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that obviously there's 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 so much to, to mine and play with, and, and clearly, you, you know, if if, if uh, uh, this is nothing new, many other fans of the show have thought of this for years. But if Sammy ends up being the one who's leaping and she's on a quest to find her dad, you know, that that's kind of one of the through lines. And and I, just based on what we saw in the final episode, if it's a continuation and that's the case, if she never finds him. Uh, or if she does find evidence that you know that he's dead, or whatever the case may be, like I'm fine with it. I don't know. Whatever. This is. Yeah. We'll yeah. see what happens. We'll see. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not counting on it. But we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Uh, anyway, thank you again, Emma, for for putting it out there. And on that note, uh, we'll put it out there. And uh, hey, two episodes, two weeks in a row. Yeah. Um, so we'll put this out there. Uh, it'll be dropping in your ears this week. And then we'll be back next week to talk about stand-up. Stand-up. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. I, I, re- I, remember, I remember this being a good episode. This Not is a great, great but yeah. yeah, this is a great episode. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to diving into it.
Yeah, and then and then hey, you know what? After that, we're into the fourth season finale, Elite for Lisa, and and then we'll be into the we'll finish up the penultimate season and lead ourselves yeah. right into the fin- uh, final season. So. We're we're in the home stretch. We're gonna get there. Yeah. And if anyone, you know, uh, any of the listeners, I almost said if anyone's listening. <laughs> Uh, if, if I've seen our numbers. I've seen us. our numbers. We have a. F- oh, me. Anyone still listening to this episode? They've already tuned out, except for the people who forgot no. how to turn off but, the the podcast app, or or the people who like maybe they yeah. put us in our ears to fall asleep at night. Uh, in that case, hello. How are you? No. Oh no. Oh dear God. Uh, but no. To anyone listening, um, we are as we are, you know, ramping up into the final season, um, and Lee Harvey Oswald, of course, being a two part episode. Uh, not initially, it actually aired as one two-hour season premiere episode, but now, of course, it's broken up into two parts for syndication and on the DVDs and Blu-rays. If uh, you guys have any opinion one way or the other, if you'd like us to cover it in one episode or two episodes, let us know. Just so you know, right now, we're leaning towards covering all two hours in one episode, knowing us that episode's going to get mighty long because there's a lot to talk about and cover in that episode, um, so it'll be pretty interesting I think uh, to hear if you guys have uh, any desire to hear that split up uh, into two separate episodes or just one episode. We do plan on recording it all at once regardless. So let us know what your thoughts and feelings on that. Uh, but yeah, in the meantime, Dennis, we say we leap out of here. Leap out of here. See y'all next week. Can't see